2: Hi, this is Alan Leeds, former tour director for James Brown, Prince, and D'Angelo, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcast. History in five songs with host Martin Popoff, a production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin.
1: Hello once again, welcome to another edition of History in 5 Songs with Martin Popoff. Brought to you by the good folks at Pantheon Podcast. Pleased, as always, to be part of this uh, network, the Pantheon Podcast Network. A lot of buddies actually joining up. A lot of guys I've known for a lot of years. So it's really cool seeing uh, seeing the growing, uh, the growing cast of characters here. Uh, we're available on Spotify, iTunes, and over 40 other podcast platforms. All right, so this is episode 44. We are just simply going to call this Montrose and Van Halen. Um, I did a book called Unchained, a Van Halen user manual, and I also did a Montrose book, uh, Rock the Nation, Montrose, Gamma, and Ronnie Redefined. I practically really wanted to do a Gamma book, but I couldn't just do a Gamma book, so I had to do a Montrose book too. Uh, but no, that, that turned out really cool. It covers both bands. Uh, these are both available on martinpopoff.com. Um, and this is actually, a, a little exercise I did in the Van Halen book, which, uh, which was just kind of a, like a pull-out box, but I'm going to do some extra explaining here. And what I like about this, uh, this episode is that uh, we aren't going to do just, uh, just the usual comparison you might have read or heard between the first Van Halen album and the first Montrose album, albeit most of this is going to be about that, uh, that cool phenomenon. Um, but it's about the bands in general as well. Um, so okay, so uh, so essentially, um, well, okay. Let's let's start with some music first, uh, just to just to kick this off and get the party going because I just love this song. Um, and then, and then we're just kind of kind of go through these. I've actually got twenty points I want to make. Hopefully, I won't jump ahead of myself. I'm gonna I'm gonna read an excerpt uh, from this uh, this out box thing that I did in the Van Halen book on this subject, and then uh, and then extrapolate a little bit from there. Okay, so first track here on History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff. This is Montrose with Space Station Number Five. I right. Just love that song. That was so cool. Um, you know, I, I, I just love that uh, that really I consider this almost the first modern heavy metal song to come out of America ever. Uh, it's a bold statement. Um, but yeah, I, I you know, we had we had the origins of American metal with what was kind of going on in, in Detroit. Um, but then basically the UK took over and America was caught in that British blues boom thing with cactus and mountain and all that, you know, eventually we got our Aerosmiths and Blue Oyster cults, um, but you know, and kiss, but basically no one, no one did it better and more modern and rocking than Montrose in 1973 with their debut album, uh, just simply called Montrose. Again, I don't want to get ahead of myself. (laughs) I don't want to say too much here. Um, but let's, uh, let's go through these connections. Um, Okay, so Montrose and Van Halen, uh, as we're calling this episode. First connection uh, between these bands. uh, Both bands were from California, Montrose from San Francisco, and Van Halen from L.A. All right, not much more needs to be said there. The origins of these two bands, I won't get too into it, but they're vastly, vastly different. There's really no comparison to the way uh, each, uh, each came into being. Van Halen, essentially baby band, grew up over a lot, a lot of years to arrive at 1978 with their debut album. Montrose, he's kind of a... He's kind of a little bit of a celebrity at this point. He's been in the Edgar Winter Group. He's he's played for Van Morrison and and, uh, and this band gets uh, kind of put together around him. But let's let's not go uh, go too far into this because I don't want to step on my other points. So let's go with uh, point number 2. Um, both bands, early material was produced by Ted Templeman and engineered by Don Landy. Templeman typically didn't do hard rock, but he did a roaring good job on Montrose with Van Halen subsequently keen on having Ted bring all that he had applied to that record into their world. So this is one of those apocryphal, you know, cool, uh, you know, what do you want your record to sound like? We want it to sound like this, uh, sort of situations the Montrose album was recorded gorgeously big fat molten electric guitars um just super modern for 1973 I I often uh, I often make the, uh, the the quip or the case that basically after 1973 with Dark Side of the Moon you had all the bass and treble you wanted from that point forward um it was simply producing was simply a uh, a product of choices at that point. You can have all the high fidelity you could ever want after 1973 is this semi-argument that I make. Um, uh, So basically, you, you couldn't produce any better than you could uh, in 1973. 1973 to me is that point. And, you know, and frankly, like I say, this Montrose album kind of fits in that, uh, this, this is a great sounding record. You couldn't even want a record to sound, uh, better than this. So from this point forward, you can do anything you want to make a record sound good. Whatever you did, you were just moving things around by personal preference, uh, as a band or a producer, kind of my point. Um, Okay, so moving on. Both bands recorded for Warner Brothers Records, so uh, you know Montrose, high, high identification with Warner Brothers. They had, it even had an album called Warner Brothers Presents. Uh, their third album was called that, and Van Halen, super, super high. Um, association with Warner Brothers, too. Remember, there was that, uh, that kind of promo LP sampler thing that had the, the Looney Tunes um, logo on, on the front of it, I believe. Uh, but basically, um, you know, not all bands are super associated with their labels, but Montrose and Van Halen were both super associated with their labels. Okay, next point. Montrose's debut record was a self-titled the name of the band and the name of the record being the last name of the band's guitarist same with van halen right so ronnie montrose his band is called montrose eddie van halen and alex van halen their record is called van halen the band is called van halen too so both of them are band and album yeah you get you get the point quite a comparison there um okay so moving on um both Montrose and Van Halen sported the classic Who-type configuration of their membership: four members, namely guitarist, bassist, drummer, and a frontman vocalist who generally doesn't play an instrument. So there you go. So there, there again, you have this uh, the the focal point on the one guitarist. He's like he's like uh, you know the the leader of the band, and uh, and you know k- kind of the main thing competing with the. Uh, with the lead singer. We're going to get to that as the very last point because that's going to become contentious. Uh, Probably, yeah, I mean basically in both of these bands. Um, Okay, so moving on, we have... uh, Okay, so on the first two Montrose albums, the lead singer was Sammy Hager, who would move on to a prolific solo career before reaching the top of the rock and roll pile as lead singer for Van Halen. So this is obviously one of the massive, massive um, uh, comparisons. Uh, The Montrose band their lead singer was Sammy Hager. And when Sammy joined Van Halen, I mean, this is a big, big point, uh, to him getting that job and doing great in that job. They did huge, huge business and made a bunch of records. Um, you know, not as many as they should have made. Um, but that's another story. Um, I in fact was going to do an episode on this whole idea of, of wasted talent. Uh, and the two that came to mind immediately were Eddie Van Halen and Brian May. Um, They basically haven't made enough music um, given how awesome and talented uh, they are. Um, But yeah, so Sammy going into Van Halen, you know two things were super important at this point. Well, three things. He's a great singer. He's a great frontman. He was a good personable guy, but he did have this long, long bank of solo career to him. So he had this stature. Uh, you know, he was kind of a mid Midwest Midwest mid place kind of band, a sandwich band, but he was doing okay. And of course he came from Montrose, which Van Halen, uh super, super liked. Um, okay, so let's move on. Let's play another song. Uh, this is Van Halen with Atomic Punk. Take a listen.
3: I can't remember when I was age For me, so it's still- no
1: All right, so I, I chose Atomic Punk here because I felt like it was literally the uh, the sister song to Space Station Number no. Five. I always considered those two together. You can even hear a little bit of a similarity in the riff. Um, but um, what I what I really like is you know they, they both and they're a little bit like uh, like Tom Sawyer and New World Man from Rush. They're they're this sort of statement of a of a I don't know a, a place a mood an atmosphere a new kind of man kind of thing. I don't know. Space Station Number no. Five isn't really like that, but Atomic Punk's Certainly is, and it has that futuristic sort of feel to it as well. Um, But uh, but yeah, those are those are probably the two heaviest songs on these two records. So I I thought there was sort of a a sistership there. Um, Okay, so moving on in our comparisons. Montrose and Van Halen, the albums, are always high up in the ranks of in the discussion among hard rock aficionados in terms of greatest hard rock debut albums of all time. I totally believe this. Uh, they are literally the two that come to mind for me. Uh, you know, Montrose changed things like crazy. Um, you know, they were never that big a band and the, and the album didn't do great. I, I believe, yeah, it, it went gold, uh, eventually, uh, just simply on the reputation of how great it was, but it's almost like a Sex Pistols situation in that they only have this one, you know, marquee super moment, um, They don't do, they don't do much else that, uh, that really matters out there in the world. Uh, you know, their, their career and their catalog kind of goes way down after this apparently, you know, pretty much. Um, but, um, but yeah, it, it is considered this great, great album. You know, after the fact, there wasn't tons and tons and tons of talk about Montrose during during their run, really. Uh, you know, I, I think this is an album that just grew in stature, uh, you know, over time. Van Halen, different story. It was, a, it was an amazing thing right off the bat. It kickstarted American metal uh, all over again when it was uh, more or less in the doldrums. Okay, so enough about that uh let's see what else uh yeah both both records are considered milestones in terms of taking rock back from the british uh kind of a kind of a cool point um you know the montrose album is 1973 the big the big bands making brand new heavy metal at that time are black sabbath deep purple and uh Uriah Heap, essentially. Um, and Van Halen's situation, um, again, the American bands were all kind of like breaking up and doing lousy and not great, you know, essentially by 1978. And, uh, you know, taking rock back from the British, I suppose at this time, you you still had, you had that next wave of Rainbow, Judas Priest, UFO, Thin Lizzy, and some of the old bands were still going. Um, but essentially, um, the way they took rock back from the British uh, is, is that, okay, first there was a new wave of British heavy metal, but... But the Van Halen album essentially is the album that kickstarts the whole Sunset Strip scene, you know, the whole massive, massive success of American metal from 1983 to 1991. All right, so let's see. Uh, Next point, for a brief moment before Van Halen had even made a record, the idea was floated to have Sammy replace David Lee Roth. As well, it wasn't out of the realm of possibility that Bob James, singer on the last two Montrose albums, could have wound up singer for Van Halen but for an introduction made and a meeting taken. yeah so Bob James interesting character he's interviewed at length in my book Rock the Nation Montrose Gamma and Ronnie Redefined um, bit of an eccentric character but he literally could have almost ended up uh, in the band as well because they were they were really clutching at straws you know they they kind of always had problems with Dave um, but uh, you know and and you hear that whole story the saga about they you know they've always, you know, Eddie and Alex, especially Eddie, uh, kept up this idea of um, always wondering about other players. You know, you hear the Billy Sheehan versus Michael Anthony stories and whatnot. Um, but uh, but yeah, so so Sammy was kind of always uh, always in the, on their minds, I suppose. Um, all right, so before we move on, let's uh, let's take a break and hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Okay. Let's take another uh, uh, listen to a bit of a music, a bit of music. Here is uh, Montrose, again with uh, Rock the Nation. All right, so I, I wanted to play that song simply because it's such an awesome song. It's uh, it's probably my second favorite song on the album, uh, the Montrose album. It opens the album. Um, you know, it's it's got, uh, you know, we talked about in other episodes, this idea of a, um, you know, the new modern heavy metal having riffs next to a little bit of boogie woogie with an AB switch, uh, switching between the two. Here you do hear a little bit of that boogie woogie in here. But, you know, the other funny reason I wanted to play this one is... Uh, it strikes me a little bit in the before the clip that I played for you there. Um, we, um, you know, you hear a little bit of Sammy sort of ad libbing or just saying a few things. To, to my mind, it reminds me of the casualness and the crappiness of a lot of Sammy's lyrics. I mean, he he basically um, almost ad libs a bunch of nothing to some of these lyrics. And to me, uh, the "Rock the Nation" lyric. Um, you know, is is not the greatest lyric in the world. Now, now, me having said this, I'm probably going to get crucified by you guys because I I didn't research before. But this could have been I can't recall off the top of my head if this is a lyric that is more so a a uh, a Ronnie lyric versus Sammy. Ronnie had a little bit of a hand in some of this, but the Van Halen guys had a problem with Sammy for essentially phoning it in on the lyric and not working too hard. So you do get a little bit of that with Sammy, and and I thought that was kind of funny listening to Rock the Nation. It's not the greatest lyric in the world um okay so moving on uh what do we got here montrose played many dates with jim dandy Mangrum's band black oak arkansas david lee roth was the la club circuit's walking jive talking tribute to Jim and Dandy okay that's kind of an elliptical point but uh, but yeah all these bands played with Black Oak Arkansas and uh, and you know Jim Dandy was 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 this kind of guy who was a template for David Lee Roth um, okay both bands relegated the lyric writing to their lead singers I mean that is usually the case but it's uh, it's definitely the case here as well um, now the funny point Montrose wrote a song called Jump on it Van Halen wrote a song called Jump very different songs, of course. Um, you know, Jump On It is is one of these uh, kind of early speed metal classics. And Van Halen did a lot of kind of speed metal in what they did. You know, something we used to call OTT, right? Um, okay. Uh, Ronnie with Gamma has records called 2 and 3, while Eddie had records called two and three in roman numerals which is kind of interesting so ronnie's second band gamma a little more futuristic keyboarding band um you know the the, the actual numerals two and three as i, b- I believe superscripts up in the corner you know um if we want to be formal about it what these records were called eddie had uh you know they had van halen two and then they had van halen three which is not their third album it's the gary Schron album and it was named that because of the configuration being the third configuration but Okay, moving on. Uh, Van Halen supported Journey on their first tour. Sandwich act was Ronnie Montrose touring with his Open Fire solo album, right? So I, I kind of remember this, right? So so Van Halen's first big tour um, was with Journey. It took them uh, out of California and uh, and on that uh, on that bill. So so yeah, so it was Van Halen, and then in the middle, this is Ronnie in his difficult phase. I mean, basically Ronnie kind of destroys. Uh, Ronnie had a tendency to destroy things when it was going good. He had kind of a big ego. Um, but essentially what happened is um, after after the Montrose album in 73, jump, or Paper Money in 74, still with Sammy. He, you know, things blew up with Sammy. He had a new, new lead singer for Warner Brothers Presents in 75. Then they had an album called Jump On It in 77. And that was the end of Montrose. Ronnie was on to a solo career, more of a you know he's in there kind of in inventing the fusion um the fusion guitar hero kind of thing with this open fire album so he's in there in in the middle in the middle slot he certainly you know Van Halen would have blown him away at this point because he's essentially a a jazzy sort of band jazz fusion you know a lot of instrumental stuff and Van Halen is just this bottle rocket shot onto the scene um okay so moving on uh p- p- Van Halen in their club days covered Montrose's Make It Last. Now this is really interesting. Van Halen covered a million things in their club days. Actually, I'm gonna read you a little bit of that from the book because it's kind of fascinating. I'm just gonna pick out a few highlights here. What do we got here? But no, the 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 um the funny part of this story is is that even though Van Halen is essentially in many ways, um, you know, the second coming of Montrose, as you as you're probably gathering through this episode, they only covered Make It Last. Um from Montrose which uh you know you would have expected them to cover two three four songs and you know Eddie also I want to bring up another point Eddie had a had a tendency to not really talk about his influences or other contemporaneous bands um I think it might be a little bit of that competitive streak, you know, the the whole the whole turning around and not letting people see what you're doing soloing and and all that kind of stuff, um, but um, but no, ne- never really talked a lot about Montrose, and it might be because it was just a little too uncomfortable how close uh, the band was to Montrose. But so yeah, in my Van Halen book, I do have another one of these. This is a big, huge, massive. You know, this is one of my longest books, actually. It has all sorts of chapters and little pull-out boxes. um, So other covers Van Halen did. Aerosmith, Last Child, Sweet Emotion, Walk This Way, Bad Company, The Beatles, Black Sabbath, Tomorrow's Dream. That's almost my favorite cool thing that they covered. A budgie in for the kill was another cool one. I'm just reading you the highlights here. Um, Rick Derringer, Still Alive and Well. Uh, Yeah, Casey and the Sunshine Band Get Down Tonight. Uh, What else we got here? Kiss, All the Way, Firehouse, Rock and Roll All Night. Um, Queen, now I'm here. Wow, amazing, eh? Rainbow Man on the Silver Mountain, uh, Robin Trower, The Fool and Me. Um, that's that's enough there. There's there's a there's a long long list of things they covered in their club days. But yeah, I thought it was kind of funny that they only did make it last. And in that spirit, let's listen to some uh, some music. This is Montrose with Make It Last. <laughs> All right, so moving on um, in our comparisons here in History and Five Songs with Martin Popoff, uh, episode forty-four, Montrose and Van Halen. Uh, Ronnie Montrose and Edward Van Halen were not only the namesakes of their band, uh, but they were essentially the leaders and main music writers. Okay, so I've kind of made this point before, but um, but it, no, it is it is a little bit more of a comparison that um, you know Ronnie essentially was writing. All of all of the music for this band, uh, not so much the drummer Denny Denny uh, Carmassi or Phil the Electric Church uh, Upchurch, uh, bassist. Same same with Van Halen. Mikey wasn't doing uh, writing. David Lee Roth wasn't writing music. Alex no. So Eddie's writing kind of kind of everything, and it's the same thing is happening here. Um, okay, next point. Uh, Ronnie Montrose and Eddie Van Halen were both major guitar and amplifier tinkers and gearheads, in both cases arguably to the detriment of their careers. Both Ronnie and Eddie found endless amusement breaking down guitars and amps and pedals, inventing gear and the new sounds they produced in the process. As for the ill effects on their career, Ronnie kept changing styles and eventually settled into a pattern of obscure jazz fusion and new age type instrumental albums. One might view Eddie as so obsessed with tone and technology that he forgot to write songs and record them. Not the case from about 1975 to 1991, but since then there have only been, uh, three, uh, three Van Halen records and zero solo albums or side projects. So yeah, this, this to me is a real tragedy and travesty of Eddie's career that we just haven't gotten more music out of him. Imagine what is in those vaults tinkering away. And I was thinking this morning about Alex, the same thing. We, we don't, we don't get Alex. If you don't get Eddie, you don't get Alex. Um, but Ronnie fell into this long career of these solo albums, you know, he had one trying to make an album, 1986, Mean, you know, whole different band, didn't sound like Montrose, but he's basically, I, I gotta make some money at this point, this, you know, there's this hair metal thing that I kind of was part of inventing, you know, I gotta try, participate in this, we made this album called Mean on a, on a kind of a mid label and it didn't do well. Um. But yeah, obviously, Van Halen recorded very sporadically throughout time. And, and I do believe, I, I really do believe that uh, in both cases, uh, their being, um, you know, obsessive to the point of slight mental illness gearheads um, has caused some of this. They're just so into gear that they did forget to write songs, both of them. Okay, so moving on. Um, although it only contained one cover, Montrose featured a heavy metal rendition of an old-time rock and roll tune Good Rockin' Tonight might be called a template for Van Halen's treatment of Ice Cream Man from the Van Halen record five years later. The fact that Good Rockin' Tonight was a moderate hit from Montrose might have helped with getting Ice Cream Man onto the Van Halen record. So yeah, Good Rockin' Tonight is a cover. Roy Brown wrote it. Ice Cream Man is a cover. John Brim wrote it. Um, let's actually take a listen to this um, here we go uh, this is this is our fifth one fifth and last entry van Halen with ice cream man
3: All right, boys.
1: All right, so there you go. I mean, this this kind of starts off this uh, this um, kind of uh, semi joke tune or party tune aspect that you get in Van Halen, but you also get throughout many many uh, hair metal albums as, as time goes on. Um, but yeah, so so Montrose did this light moment, you know, levity, going back to the roots, playing this rock and roll party tune. Everybody loves a boogie woogie, uh, so they stuck one on their record. And Van Halen did uh, exactly the same thing. So there's another parallel there. Okay, so a couple more comparisons, and then we're done. Uh, let's see. Um, Both Eddie Van Halen and Ronnie Montrose embraced keyboard and synthesizer technology, despite being dedicated scholars of the guitar and all the toys one could uh, hook up to it to make it go. Still, by the mid-80s, Eddie was on his way towards amassing a tidy collection of keyboard-dominant songs. Ronnie, with 1982's Gamma 3, had delivered, much to the surprise of his small but dedicated fan base, a full album virtually themed upon synthesizers. So... Van Halen starts using keyboards uh, pretty pretty for real on uh, what would we say uh, Romeo Delight um, and the Cradle Will Rock, um, but then you know shocking the world with Jump. Um, you know, with with a super super keyboard riff, I might do a whole whole episode on this idea. But but basically, and then he, you know, he's picking up playing the you know the piano, so we get these these schmaltzy uh, good, Hardy piano songs. Uh, you know, the big power ballads, uh, Sammy Hager singing and whatnot. But there's there's quite a bit of keyboards and synths. You know. Cool ideas. I love the fact that he's such a creative guy. he's a mad scientist that he that he embraces this stuff even though he's you know the greatest guitarist in the world, whatever, right. Um, so he's in there. Uh, learning to play piano, using a lot of synthesizers. Ronnie, same thing. I mean, uh, the the band Gamma itself, uh, even right from the start uh, with Alan Fitzgerald on on keys, I think he's a synthesizer player on the first album. Uh, Gamma 1, Gamma 2. Gamma 2 is one of my favorite albums of all time. Please go check that out. Killer, killer record. Uh, Super classic hard rock record. But, you know, a good futuristic bit to it as well. Reminds me a little bit of Robin Trower, some of it. Davey Pattison, the the lead singer, there's a connection there with Trower, um, but essentially that band is uh, is put together as a futuristic heavy hard rock band. But the Gamma Three album, like I say, uh, is is lots and lots and lots of uh, synthesizer there, Mitchell Froom. In on that one. Uh, okay, so let's see what else we got. Okay, we're up to our very last comparison, uh, and this is an apt way to end this. Sure, it might have been all hugs and kisses in the beginning, but soon enough, Ronnie Montrose was at odds with all of his lead singers, namely Sammy Hager, Bob James, uh, Davy Pattison, and for that matter, Edgar Winner. Similarly, Eddie Van Halen soon found himself more than happy to break the marriage covenant with both David Lee Roth and Sammy Hager. So again, um, I think in Ronnie's case, you know, Ronnie sadly is not with us, committed suicide. Uh, in my book, you'll hear three, four, five reasons all coming together of why that might have happened. We won't go into that here. But, you know, he was known to have um, this struggle, this ego struggle with being um, upstaged by the lead singer. Ted Nugent had the same problem with, uh, with uh, Derek St. Holmes. Um and uh, Ronnie definitely had that problem. Now I don't know if um, if so much uh, Eddie had that same fragile ego. I don't think so. I in in Van Halen it's more of a situation with Dave being like pulling you know almost pulling out your hair. Too much of an outsized ego. Um, so I don't think it was ex- essentially the same kind of ego battle between them. But but we know. You know, Eddie and Dave didn't get along, and Eddie and Sammy, uh, you know, later essentially didn't get along either. So both of the bands have that comparison of the lead guitarist, namesake of the band, having trouble with their lead singers. All right. There we go. Let's wrap this up. Uh, this has been another long episode. Um, but yeah, I, th- I thought this went pretty well. Um, so there we go. There's your comparisons between Montrose and Van Halen in an episode just called Montrose and Van Halen. Um, go over to the Facebook page, History and Five Songs with Martin Popoff. Uh, comment, uh, tell, tell me what you think, good or bad. You can go to my regular Facebook. There's the other Facebook. All my books are available on martinpopoff.com. It's a super busy time right now at the moment because I just had a new book called... Uh, anthem rush in the 70s and at the same time denim and leather saxon's first 10 years Uh, those just came out but yeah anything that's in print i have over there i'm signing and uh shipping out uh directly from this office here uh that's it um hope you dug this episode go play these records you know you probably know the van halen record really really well but maybe not the montrose record so well it is super super impressive start to finish go play the montrose record until next time see you later
2: at R&R Archeology.
0: The Venture X card from Capital One gives you premium travel benefits, perfect for seeing Taylor Swift The Eras Tour. Presented by Capital One. Ooh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and 10 times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel.
1: Enjoy your stay in Suite 13.
0: Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number.
1: But still, it's the right thing
2: to do. So get options based on your needs with Progressive's Name Your Price tool. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football